Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster still in these current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I am Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on today's programme by Rachel Jolliffe. Rachel is the owner of Jolliffe's, a family-run business that specialises in men's formal wear and fancy dress based out of High Wycombe, Buckinghamshire. Rachel, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for taking the time to join us. Certainly is a uh, lovely day for it. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to really establish your take on leadership. So if we think about that word leader in isolation, first and foremost, what does that word really mean to you? Um, I would say um, it's about sort of um, keeping a cool head and communicating with your staff and your customers um, probably hiding everything that's going on in the background and <laughs> putting on a brave face and uh, doing your best, I suppose. Certainly that seems to be the uh, the case in the um, the business world. I'm absolutely right, Rachel. And um, if we think about your leadership style for a second, how would you describe that in the context of the Jolliffe's business? I would say my... Not conventional. My leadership skills are myself and my family. Um, I'm not one to set rules and tell people what they should and shouldn't be doing because they've all worked for me for, I mean, some of them over 30 years and we're all sort of, I, I see, I see myself and myself as an equal. You know, I'll get up and make them a cup of tea, do the heat ring and, and, and they would do the same for me. So, um, I, to me, it's very important to, to, for us all to be on the same level. Obviously, when there's a, a decision that needs to be made and, 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 I, and I need to go slightly further than I will do, but I, I, you know, I respect myself and I love working with them. So very important points there, Rachel, uh, for sure. That equal footing idea is incredibly important and showing that humility as a leader to do tasks that obviously you wouldn't um, expect from um, anybody else as well, because um, that's an important element of being able to take people with you, I guess. And that's incredibly important from a leadership perspective. And it's certainly important in the context of the here and now with, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and different business leaders having to feel their way through this uncharted territory. And it is those leaders who will have been showing that humility and that consideration for those around them whose staff will now be going above and beyond for them to just keep things ticking over if you will i suppose um being a family business it helps in uh, that sense but also it adds a new sort of dimension to the people management side of being a leader as well doesn't it yes yes it does i mean um the we have we were we have always been a family business. My father started it back in sort of seventies when my grandfather started another one way sort of further than that. Um but it is just me now. Um my my father sort of came completely out of it. His brother used to manage for him as well. Um my 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 dad being sort of my hero really, I was always very you know, looked up to my dad as as um, he, he he's very the same as me. I mean, you know, he, he his leadership is is very the same the same as mine. Sort of, whereas my uncle, um, he was the manager and he was the one that sort of told everybody 
what they needed to do completely different people completely different skill sets so um, yeah um, the, the whole the whole COVID thing is that I'm sort of dealing with it all on my own really Absolutely. I can imagine that the uh, the COVID situation has proven a real, real challenge, um, not just, of course, from a people management perspective to try and obviously provide some much needed reassurance to those around you, but also just in the way that the business has been affected. And um, how have you had to personally uh, respond um, to that? Because I, c- I can imagine it has been incredibly disruptive. It's being in the wedding industry, it's probably the worst sector, I would say, because we have we haven't really. I mean, obviously, weddings have been talked about. Um, you know, who can, who can, how the amount of people that can actually um, um, be in one place at one time is, is it just doesn't even doesn't even respond to the wedding the wedding side of it. So, even though we've now been told um, what the fifteenth of June is that the non retail um, shops can reopen, but how that would affect me, it doesn't because you know you, until we get to go ahead as to when as to when weddings can happen, that's sort of probably ninety percent of my business is, is weddings and um, you know how how that's going to work. I, I I don't really know, but as soon as it as it, it all kicked off, we just sort of shut down, closed the doors, and I'm just there at the end of the phone for all the weddings that have been. Nothing's been cancelled. That's that's a good thing. Everyone's sort of optimistic and saying, right, it's all postponed for another day, and they're just sort of waiting for their dates to um, most of them next year. So I think next year's going to be a very busy one. So we've got to keep on top of things for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, literally just closed everything down. Everybody, all of my staff and friends. Like, I mean, there's only six of us, so it, it's um, it was it was good that they did that, that the government did that for me. Um, but we are sort of now looking at maybe opening slightly less hours and um, sort of seeing how it goes, really. I think it's really one of those suck it and see and go from there. Exactly. There's a great deal of uncertainty um, at the uh, the moment and businesses having to plan for uh, certain eventualities. And considering that, of course, um, you um, are considering reopening um, in the, the near future, with all of the uh, the government guidelines which are making premises now COVID secure, there's been a great debate about how clear those guidelines are. And of course, clarity, transparency, two very important um, elements of leadership. From your perspective, Rachel, has that guidance been clear enough, really? No, not at all. Um, it there's so many things to read. Um, nobody has come to me and said, "Right, this is." I've got. I mean, as with the whole the, the whole pandemic, I think everybody um, has to use their common sense with the social distancing. With the, the you know, if you need to meet other people, etc. Um, it's all about using your common sense, but. As far as clothing, whether they, people can try the clothing on, um, no guidelines at all as to what um, you know what what what's next really. So at the moment, I'm trying to answer emails, customers are wanting to come in to make appointments. Um, um, I can't really answer. I understand, uh, Rachel, uh, for sure, and. Um... If we think about, of course, the uh, the fact that staff at the business have also been uh, put on furlough too, um, d- how have they responded to this? Because we've heard a great deal of stories uh, from all over um, 
essentially the business world that people have really been going them above and beyond whether they've been uh, furloughed whether they've had to adjust to remote working whether they've continued working on site um, for various reasons and it's really been a period that's brought everybody closer together um have you found that with your staff members as well have you seen that their response generally has been quite positive when you needed it to be Absolutely, very positive. Um, obviously, from the beginning, it was um, we didn't we didn't sort of make lots of decisions straight away because we didn't really know what was happening. But I always said to the, the staff, you know, I, I'll, I'll stick by them as long and for as long as I possibly can, and I will. Um, and I, I furloughed them straight away, um, and I'm very lucky with them as in they're all most of them. Uh, that they are all older, established, um, not not it, 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 it's not going to change things too much for them. So obviously they're all being furloughed, they're all being paid, and, and we all keep in touch. We we have a little WhatsApp group, making sure everybody's okay, and um, that's the best way to go about it, really. And what I will probably do is, is open on my own and just go in on my own until I've feel that it's safe for everybody to come in and, and get back to some sort of normality but like I say I'm not really sure how that's going to work and I'm just going to take each week as it comes really. Mm, I think um, that's um, pretty much um, one of the best responses you could uh, look to uh, do Rachel being responsible as you say using common sense as things uh, begin to uh, reopen with social distancing um, etc and if we think about what the future will hold in the uh, the next 12 months for Jolliffs and for yourself um, what do you hope to achieve in the next year as we move through COVID-19 and also hopefully get through the other side of this pandemic and really begin to look to the future? I think, um, and this has always been my view, that my sector, the wedding sector and, and the retail side, I think it's going to bounce back very, very well. I mean, already, obviously, we've had a, obviously an awkward few months, um, but the, like I said earlier, we've not had any cancellations. There's, there's been no um, cancellations of wedding. They've all been moved. So, not only am I going to have next year, all the people were thinking that were thinking about getting married in 21. I thought of this year's wedding, um, you know, that have been moved different dates. So it, uh, for me, I think it's going to be very, very busy. So I'm, you know, very hopeful that things are going to be good. I hope so. I mean, that's, that's, for me, my grass is always full, always still, never, never half empty. So um, that's, that's that's the only, my only, positive thinking is my only way forward. Mm. And that positivity is certainly going to be necessary as we begin to look to the future and adapt to this uh, new normal way of doing things that is certainly going to be uh, the case um, once um, we do get to that point. Um, I have to say, Rachel, I think it would be great um, in the year, the next year or so, once we begin to understand what that new normal will look like, to actually catch up and just see what is going on there within the business, given how yeah, informative absolutely. it's been today, yeah. for sure. Um, it's yeah. a shame we can't, yeah. of course. Yeah. No, mm. it's, it's a shame we can't discuss uh, for longer because we are just about out of time on the uh, the programme. Otherwise, I'm sure we could talk um, all afternoon about it. But um, it's been a real yeah. pleasure, uh, for sure, having you um, on the air with us. And um, I really do appreciate the time taken to uh, to do this. And do take care and do stay safe with everything still going on, for sure. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
That was Rachel Jolliffe, the owner of Jolliffe's in High Wycombe, Buckinghamshire. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with former professional footballer and 1966 World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, during his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition. That came after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very fortunate. I think you, you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the 
recognition he deserved. It was a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think 
wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal 
And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a 
and a natural leader? Um, well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, well, the, the answer, is straightforward answer, is yes. Um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes I can elaborate as much as you want but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, so many, yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions. 
and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.